Thoughts Podcast. Hi, this is Shane Vanderhart. Welcome back to another episode, and I have to apologize that it's been so long since our last episode. It's been over a month. Uh, never meant to uh, go that long in between episodes. Trying to get back on a regular uh, schedule here and having an episode, you know, at least once a, once a week. That's my goal anyway. Sometimes the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. But we will uh, attempt to uh, get that done. I had a great conversation today with one of my pastors, Pastor Recab Gray. He's the pastor of uh, teaching and spiritual formation at, at Cottage Grove Church. Um, my church uh, has diversity as one of its core values, and it has been talking a lot about biblical justice in in light of uh, the protest over the summer and and uh, with the with the Black Lives Matters movement as well as. Uh, uh, push for racial justice. Uh, he was somebody that came immediately to mind as somebody I would like to have on the podcast to talk about biblical justice. And a couple weeks ago, he gave a sermon where he addressed addressed justice, and he said some, I, I think, some hard truths. And I'll let you listen to an excerpt here. That longing for justice is inherent to the nature of the Christian, because a love of justice is inherent to the nature of their God. Listen to me, you need to really ask yourself the question that you read. I'm gonna go there. Does the news that you watch, I'm gonna really go there. Do the preachers you listen to, do they shy away around this word called justice? Are they uncomfortable with the word itself? Even you now, when I bring up justice, does your heart say, oh no, he's going there again. Is there a discomfort with the word justice? Because I want you to know, if there is an inherent discomfort with the word justice, then it might be that all your life you have been taught an American Jesus, not a biblical one. Some powerful stuff there. Uh, he and I talk about what he meant. We drilled down further into that. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Recap Gray. Well, Pastor Recap, welcome to the Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Hey, how you doing, man? Good to good to hear from you. Hey, doing well. Um, so I, I just wanted to, uh, a, a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with who you are, so I just want to give, give you an opportunity to just talk a little bit about your background, uh, where you grew up, how you came to Christ, how you ended up in Des Moines. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a... Uh... Heavy loaded question, honestly, <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> um, yeah, my uh, grew up. I was my my father was in the Air Force, and so um, we moved around quite a bit. Uh, moved from Texas to Alaska. Um, all my family is down in Louisiana, so uh, kind of got that in my roots as well. We moved over to Maryland, so I went to high school there. That's where I ended up meeting my wife, um, and then ended up in Philly for like 10 years uh, right out of high school. Uh, and Philly's really where I call home. So I was out there 10 years. Uh, we ended up getting married out in Philly. I was a part of a really dope church out in Philly called Epiphany Fellowship. Um, and just fell in love with uh, doing ministry in the inner city. And so I had a plan on planting a church because um, uh, our church there was in a particular uh, part of Philly called North Philly. And so we, um, we actually were just very much a church that loved to plant churches in 
places like, you know, South Central LA and Brooklyn, New York, all of that. And so I had wanted to plant a church uh, in Southwest Philly, uh, another hood in Philly. And um, yeah, uh, as I was preparing to do that, it's right near uh, University of Penn, which is an Ivy League school. And so it's like this crazy community where uh, it's super, super hood. And then right on the other side of that is just this really affluent area. And so I just had a desire to see those two things reconciled in Jesus. Ended up meeting uh, Andy Norris, uh, who is the founder of Cottage Grove. Um, literally the summer, I'm working on all this church planting stuff. He invites me out to Iowa to try to recruit me to come be a part of his thing. I told him straight up, no, uh, would never move to Iowa. <laughs> like, I didn't even know what Des Moines was, man. So, uh, well, but probably, I thought, you probably know. most people on the East Coast. So truly, truly, man. I talked to a lot of people, man. They like Idaho, Ohio, and Iowa still don't come up. It's like not even the third option. So, um, so I, I was working through that, and then I, I eventually, um, he flew out to Philly, and basically made a last pitch of like, what would it take? And I said, man, if the Lord would have somehow shut down all of this work and church planning, um, our core team, all of that, then you'd be the first person I call. And uh, 10 days later, that's exactly what the Lord did. And so I, I stayed true to my word, and I called Andy, and the rest is history. So I've been now, here since now, uh, uh, March of 2017. Honestly, so, yep. <laughs> honestly, were you praying, God, please don't let it shut down? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, <laughs> like, uh, I had no desire to move to Iowa, man. And I'm like, I love Philly to this day, calling home and, and plus, I'm like, yo, Philly's like 47% African-American. So I'm coming, and then the context I was in was like 95 to 99% African-American. Mm -hmm. So coming from that to this and, was just a huge shock in a, in a whole and, bunch and, of ways. And so, yeah, and Des Moines, <laughs> yeah, Des Moines is a little bit different. <laughs> a li <laughs> just, just slightly, man, just slightly. I tell uh, people every all the time like if i didn't get put into drake neighborhood uh it would have been different for me but drake neighborhood has been been good to us, so yeah <laughs> I, uh, my my experience i grew up, i grew up in small town iowa bondurant and then in high school okay. and in high school moved into des moines so i went from a mm. I, I think we had in bondurant at the time i was living there one native american family um Wow! Wow! <laughs> and, then, and then moved to Des Moines, wow. uh, and I went to Hoover. Wow. And that was at the time the most diverse high school in the in, in the community, and that was that. For yeah, me, yeah. That was a that was a culture shock too. But uh, it, but for you, it's like in reverse. I mean, it's uh, so what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? What were some of the things that you you experienced moving from Philly to Des Moines? I mean, what was the some of the primary culture shock things? It's like wow, that's that's a little different. Well, it's actually interesting. Um, some of the major stuff was uh, I I noticed that so so Philly, right? Like one of the things is like this is gonna sound silly, but it has sports teams, like some yeah. professional sports teams, and I that seems like super you know trivial, not really that big of a deal, but um, it it actually makes a difference in terms of conversation. Uh, because here, if you don't have anything in common, there's really nothing to talk about. And so when you when you talk about like segregated communities, like most cities in the United States are segregated racially. 
But at least in Philly, when you get on the on the train station, you got people who are all rooting for the same team. Right. So it allows for at least the conversation to be about, you know, the Sixers or the Eagles or something like that across racial lines. Here, man, if you're not into college sports, and even if you are, you might be a, you know, <laughs> Iowa Hawkeye man and not Iowa State man. And so there's really, like, not this, like, common denominator that, just culturally just unites people. Um, and so that was a huge just culture shock. I think it also, when I got here, the black community here um, is, is, it's, it's small, yes, but it's also very condensed, mm-hmm. which was the case in Philly, but there were a bo- bunch of those pockets spread right. throughout the city. So here, so much of it um, is in basically a few areas, and they're all basically right next to each other. And then when you get out of there, like when Philly, you would move out of the black section, it'd go to like 60%, 70% white. Here you get out of the, you know, diverse sections and it goes like 90, 95% white. Right. So that shock, that difference is like, if I'm not in the Drake area or I'm not in Evelyn K. Dave uh, Park, uh, uh, Park mm-hmm. man, I, I might not see minorities much at all. Um, and so, you know, that was, those are some of the, the major shocking things that were uh, coming in were kind of difficult for sure. So, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, yeah. I want to talk to you about justice, which is the main reason I reached out to you. Uh, you you uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I think, uh, uh, during your one of mm. your sermons, said some tough words about justice. Um, you mm. said, said mm. oh, let's see. I actually transcribed this this video. Oh, so you asked, is there a discomfort mm. with the word justice? Because I want you to know if mm-hmm. there's an inherent discomfort with the word justice, then it might be that all your life you've been taught an American Jesus, not a biblical one. Um, yeah. What do you, can I, yeah. I, want, I want to drill down on that. What What did you What do you mean by that? Yeah, uh, I've been just, um, and this stuff is like near and dear to my heart, man. Sure. I have been uh, just confronted um, with a lot of questions about the idea of justice, of racial injustice, of uh, justice this, justice that. And I have been in so many conversations where literally, I mean, some I've just had to ask, like, does the word justice bother you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, in some ways, yeah. <laughs> and when I hear that response, I'm like, where is this coming from? And I, I obviously I know I know the history. I know the history. I know the reality that uh, there are going to be these camps where they they have made an idol out of the idea of justice apart from Jesus Christ. So I, I get that. Um, and I also get that um, even within camps who still want to serve Jesus Christ. Uh, justice still becomes like huh, almost like this entity that all things are moving towards that. So even if it's like, yeah, get saved, but then after you're saved, everything becomes about giving to the poor, doing justice, and nothing is about proclaiming the Jesus of justice. Then, bro, I, I, I really get that. And this is how ministries that started off with a gospel-centered drivenness then turned into basically do good ministries. So I get the history of it. But man, the response I hear from people to the word justice itself 
mm-hmm. is terrifying mm-hmm. to me. Like it probably would be to other people if people were uncomfortable with hearing the word Christian, <laughs> because because <laughs> the word Christian also too has a lot of baggage. Right. But we should never run away from the word Christian. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, uh, the scripture says in the book of Acts that it was at Antioch that they were first called Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a reason for that. They, they, they had nothing else to call them. They're just like, all y'all do is talk about this Messiah, the, the Christos. So all y'all do is talk about him. And all y'all do is want to live your life like him. You little Christ. <laughs> it's, that's really yeah. what it is. So, so you, you, you Christians, right? So that should be a, a, a word that's endearing to us, no matter how much has been messed up. That should be a word that we have, we fall in love with. And when it gets messed up or it gets misused, we should want to reclaim. The word justice for me is so inherent biblically that to get uncomfortable with it means you've been taught a, a, some type of Jesus that doesn't have justice all up in there mixed in. And that, that terrifies me because of how much the idea of justice shows up in the scriptures. I, I think um, so that, that's really where that comes from. Go okay, ahead. I think for me, um, the word justice itself, yep. you know, my, my first thought yep. is, well, what, what do you mean? And um, yep. secondly, I guess if I were, if I were to be uncomfortable, with, I'm probably more uncomfortable with the, it, it being modified with the word social <laughs> justice. Yep. Because that, yep. that, carries all, <laughs> that, that carries a lot of baggage. Um Yep. But the word justice yep. itself, I mean, you know, um, has a lot of meanings to a lot of different people. How how do you define it yep. and, and biblically? Yeah, so it's interesting because the word, you know, in Greek, dikaiosune, um, is the word for righteousness. And then it's it's like a linguistic relative to the idea of justice. So these words are, I mean, literally virtually inseparable in Greek. And this is why, like, you read the King James Version, it'll say that this person was just. You'll read an updated version, and it'll say this person was blameless or righteous. I'm thinking of, you know, Zechariah, John's uh, father in the scriptures, the chaos, like, like they, were, they were righteous or they were blameless or they were just, right? Mm-hmm. So these words in our English language have been so separated, so distant now, that you can literally have churches that preach one or the other. <laughs> and, and for me, that like should never be the case. So the way, so, so for me, it's like, first off, recognizing how closely related these two concepts are that you can't be a church that talks about doing justice to the poor. And then at the same time, have nothing to say to people's sexuality, because therefore you have, you have somehow created a distance between justice and righteousness that is unbiblical. And I think in the same way, you can't speak to people's sexuality without dealing with the idea of abuse. <laughs> right. And so I think that these, these concepts are like so interrelated and interwoven in scripture, and yet we've made a, a crazy distant, distance and a chasm between them. So the way I would define biblical justice it's simply by using the word righteousness. I would say that, that anything that is injustice is sin with power. Hmm. And I would say that anything is, that is justice is simply righteousness with privilege. <laughs> so I, I just, I'll take the concept of righteousness or unrighteousness, which is sin, hmm. and just say, well, all justice is, is being able to have some force behind it. 
So the example I used actually in church a, a few weeks before the sermon you're referring to is the example of my, my, my daughter. My daughter's nine years old, love her to death. Um, and the example I'm about to give you has never happened, will never happen by the grace of God. But um, I gave the example of um, if my daughter punches me in the face, that's one thing. If I punch my daughter in the face, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. My daughter punching me in the face is unrighteousness. And because that's disobedience towards her father, that one sin is deserving of wrath in hell, in, uh, 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 the wrath of God in hell for eternity. And Jesus Christ had to die for that. That, act, that one act of unrighteousness against a holy God. But if I punch my daughter in the face, it's more than that. <laughs> it is unrighteousness, yes, because I'm sinning against my daughter. But the distinction is, is she is powerless in this situation to defend herself. So this is where it becomes injustice. <laughs> because I, as the one in power, have more power than the powerless one. So she puts me in my face, it might sting, might not even hurt at all, but it's still sin, and Jesus had to die for it. If I punch my daughter in the face, it's going to do, one, more than sting, but also, how can she defend herself from it? And so when Scripture's talking about injustice, notice who it always brings up. It brings up the powerless people, mm. the orphan. In that time, the gov- there was no government taking care of foster children. So the orphan. And even with our government trying to take care of foster children, we see how bad and how poorly that goes for so many children. So it brings up the orphan. It brings up the sojourner, the one who's traveling, who has no place to call their own. It brings up the widow who in that context, if you were not married, you literally had nothing to your name. And so you banked on the work, the worth of your father. But if they're widowed, you would bank on the worth of your husband. But after you're married, and your husband dies, most guys aren't going to want you. So you're powerless in that society. Mm-hmm. And over and over and over and over and over again, you see God bringing up his heart for those specific people groups. And it's because of their powerlessness in society. And so I would say that like all, all, justice, all injustice is, is simply sin with power. And you can start to see that that work of injustice or that act of injustice in a whole myriad of areas uh, of life as we know it. So okay. hope that's helpful. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So moving yeah. on, yeah. Know, what does it look like to for the, the church to uh, do justice, to address injustice? Um, I, and, and let's think in terms of racial injustice since that seems to be, that's what the main primary focus the last few months have been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I will say this. Um, I think the uh, American church, and I've said this before, their primary issue isn't actually a racial justice problem. Their primary issue is a humility problem. (laughs) Because I think injustice only happens, again, remember, sin with power. I think injustice happens when there is a sense of superiority and, and you see this more than you would even be able to like put the, the, you know, the racial component on it. Um, I look at, uh, you know, a denomination uh, that many people know it was last year, 
over 700 ministers uh, got exposed for sexual abuse in the church. It was one of the most devastating things to the church community, and and it made every single church denomination take a hard look at themselves. It was easy to call out the Catholic Church when it was, stuff was going on then, but then it was like, oh, here comes the Protestant Church too, having to deal with the same thing. Right. It, t- it made it take a, take a look a hard look at themselves. You go story after story, and here's what happened: <laughs> story after story, um, this person was abused. They go to the leadership. Um, they're usually abused by someone in leadership. So they go to the other leadership and the other leadership, instead of leaning into the language and the cry of the one who is powerless, they instead lean into the, to the words of the one in power. And that consistency allowed for some of these things to happen. Now imagine a context where immediately it's not like you're taking sides but immediately knowing you are someone in power who has been given authority by God to lead and fly, uh, shepherd the church, imagine your first thought is what has happened to this person? Mm-hmm. It, it, it causes you to be a different type of listener. And so what I would say is the act of like, what does the church do when it comes to injustice or racial injustice or whatever kind of injustice? I think you see it very clear in Proverbs 31. And it's almost like, just do what this says by the spirit of the power of the spirit of God it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. <laughs> I mean, like you could literally preach an entire sermon series on just that. Open your mouth for the mute. That's not obviously only those who can't literally speak, but open your mouth for all um, who can't speak for themselves, um, anybody who can't talk for themselves. Then it says, for the rights of all who are destitute, all those who are down, all those who are carrying the kind of burdens that we can never even imagine. I think of the single mother who has been abandoned. <laughs> I think of, uh, of widows who, who have lost their, their husband. There, there's so many who are destitute. And then open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Can you imagine uh, a, a church context that truly held to this mm. and made this a constant cry, not just on little equipping classes on the side, right. not just let's do an event, but from the pulpit itself. Cause my, my, my belief and just biblically speaking, you know, you get to first Timothy, I think it's chapter four. He's talking to uh, Timothy and he, and he says, um, <laughs> he says, commit yourself to the public reading of scripture, mm-hmm. to exhortation and to teaching. So to me, that's the proclamation of the word of God. That's, that's what the church is built on. So what people hear from the pulpit is what they're going to believe about the heart of God, because all the pulpit should be, is a proclamation of the word of God, which right. contains God's heart. Right. So right. imagine pulpits that actually drove that through the pulpit to the people of God. I think you have a drastically, not only different church, but a drastically different society as we know it. So yeah, you're going to say something. Yeah. I just, yeah. Uh, I can, I can, I can tell you probably most of my listeners, um, I want to shift a little bit about to, what's going on with with the police um 
Yeah. I'd like to hear your perspective yeah. on that because obviously I, I'm I'm pretty confident that you and I have had completely different experiences with the police, um, yeah. or, or maybe yeah. not. I you know, uh, but yeah. I, I, yeah. I I could tell you that um, a lot of my listeners are really probably struggling with some of the things they hear from the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. What yeah. are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts as far as how the church should um, respond to this particular issue and uh, to my, to my friends that, uh, and based on my social media feed, I know there, there's a plethora of them and I get pushed back on this mm-hmm. all the time because I don't exactly hold that <laughs> particular point of view. So I get flamed up yeah, from by, yeah. by both the left and the right all the time. So, amen. So, absolutely. For somebody yeah. who says, well, you know, just don't get into trouble or just do what the police tell you to do. Or, you know, I'm sure you've heard the different responses too. What, what do you say to people yeah. who hold that view? Well, the first thing I say I can say is understand that if the Bible says that we should have an eye for the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner in a unique way, it lets you know that the experiences of the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner are drastically different than other people in society. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't have your, have your eye on them. So from, from the offset, we need to understand that two people can experience two drastically different um, sides of the same system. And, and that's always been the case. <laughs> and so I think that if we know that from the gate, it can allow for us to understand that when people say, like, I have never had a police officer do X. It's, for me, it's not an argument of, like, yes, you have. Think about it. Think about this. No. It's easy for me to say, of course you haven't. Right. <laughs> Actually, right. I really believe you <laughs> that that has never happened to you. So I'm going to tell you what has happened to me. And I want you to have the same type of confidence that what I'm telling you is true as well. Hmm. And that's where it becomes an issue. And if I can give an example, and this is probably a really harsh example. So uh, hopefully, hey, send all your emails uh, to me. (laughs) This has nothing to do with you. So (laughs) um, I'll never forget this. And this like put language to something that was crazy for me. I'll never forget this, though. I was watching on Netflix. It was a show about drug lords. And, um, and in, in the show, it was a particular drug lord who was kind of very, very famous down in, in Mexico and doing a lot of uh, in and out of uh, moving cartel in between Texas, Texas and Mexico. Narcos? His family. Uh, so I, I don't I know Narcos is like. Uh, there's a, there's a lot to that story. I think it's the same story, but I think there's more that I want to talk about. And I don't know how much like the Netflix show is tied in with the actual documentary of, of what actually happened with the man himself. So I'm talking more about the documentary. That's why I didn't like mention what it was or whatever. So I'm talking more about the documentary. outside of No, you're good. You're good. You're good. Um, so, um, what was interesting is when you interviewed his immediate family, wife and kids. I mean, wife knew something was going on. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Kids, no clue. Right. Because at home, dad was a champion. Dad got them Christmas gifts. He played with them, played the same kind of games that you and I played our kids. All the things that you would want from a daddy, he was doing. And then at the other end, he was living this totally different life on this other side. Like drastically different, like scary different. So when the kids were interviewed after he got caught and he's in prison and he's literally denying anything ever happened, they're asking them, don't you think it's a possibility that this happened? And they're like, absolutely not. Right. I know my dad. My dad has been the, the best father I could have ever asked for. And then meanwhile, there are tons and tons and tons of not only people, but evidence saying that these people are being treated a totally different way than the kids are being treated at home. Hmm. I looked at that and all I could do is I was all like, that's exactly what I feel when I have these conversations about the criminal justice system. There's no explaining to the kids, if you will, who have been treated so well by a criminal justice system that maybe other people are experiencing something drastically different. And I'm not talking about by the same individual that this cop goes and treats these people better or whatever. I'm just talking about the system in general, that there is evidence upon evidence upon evidence upon evidence upon evidence that black people specifically are treated drastically different than white people in this nation when it comes to the criminal justice system. And, and yet in the face of all the evidence, if you're one of the kids who has been treated well, can I put it even more practically? If you're someone who has a relationship with a police officer, if I can get even more practical, if they're in your home, it is almost impossible to believe that a system that they're involved in could treat someone else this terribly. And it's almost like, so how do we talk? How can we, how can we even get past that if that's what the belief system you're coming in on? Mm-hmm. And I believe the only way we can do this is by going to the scripture and understanding this idea that not only are we called to care for the orphan and for the sojourner and for the widow, but here it is. We're called to care for the orphan, sojourner, and widow that is amongst us. Old Testament, that means the congregation of the Israelites. New Testament, that means the congregation of the saints. So if there is a people group who are saying they are being treated, here it is, like they are powerless in so many ways, then it behooves us to have diverse communities where we have real relationships with people who are experiencing something drastically different. Because here is what I know, that every person that I know who has fostered a black child, who had a, some, an extremely conservative perspective on these issues before that, mm-hmm. after fostering, and I give it three years, their perspective starts to change. Yeah, now, what has I, changed? I, the, <laughs> the evidence is still the same. Mm. The, the data is still the same. Nothing has changed except Except their experience. Yes. Yes. Their experience. Because here's what's happened, brother. They are now experiencing the pain through someone they actually love. So the experience is no longer distant. 
it has now literally been owned by that parent. When my daughter hurts, I hurt. When my son hurts, I hurt. And this is why the Bible uses the analogy of family and body. Because if we really believe that, then as our brothers and sisters mourn, the first response would not be, well, why are you really crying? The first response would be, how can I sit with you in your tears? <laughs> and it is in the, the, the action of sitting in so, with someone in their tears that you begin to own their pain and your skepticism starts to literally fizzle out. That, that, that has just been my experience and what I've seen and best right. answer I can give to that. No, so, that's, yeah. a great, that's, that's a great explanation I, and, and answer. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. That good thoughts. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's amazing how, if we just actually sit down and listen with people, we'd find common ground as well. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, may not necessarily totally agree on every single policy uh, when it comes to say police no. reform. Uh, Cause I'm not a big fan nah. of the disband the police movement. Um, uh-huh. mm-hmm. I, just just mm-hmm. because I, mm-hmm. we live in a sinful, <laughs> in a sinful culture yep. and, 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 and a broken world. And I just don't know how that would work. Um, Cause I think I it's, it's yep. making presumptions on, on the nature of man, but, uh, yep. but definitely, yep. I mean, I, you know, I, um, things like qualified uh, ending, qualified immunity, um, ending, ending racial mm. profiling, um, Yep. you know more training mm-hmm. for police and these are things yep. i you know i can i can get behind but it takes yeah we need to actually start listening to one another and and uh i don't can i it, say a quick thing about black lives matter too absolutely like whenever yeah so here's and this is cottage grove and this is just our church and like honestly this is what i really feel um it's it's kind of like, you know, my, my children, right? Um, Black Lives Matter movement is a movement that is crying out against injustice. Mm-hmm. But they're crying out against injustice from a completely anti-biblical, anti-Christian perspective. Okay. Right. So our expectation should never be that their way about of going about it is actually going to be helpful. Never should be that. Like, it should never be that. But I will say this. We asked the question, like, so what should I do about that? Mm. My, my thing is always like, well, then tell us what's biblical. <laughs> I can't tell you how frustrated I get that Christians are railing on Black Lives Matter, but will never say a word against the injustice that they're crying out against. <laughs> right, right. So it's, 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 it, for me, it literally becomes like this kid's being bullied, okay? Mm-hmm. There's a Christian response to a kid being bullied, and then there's a non-Christian response to a kid being bullied. <laughs> the non-Christian response is, yo, go, let's get our uncle and our cousins and everybody, and we're going to jump the boy who was doing the bullying. The, bullying. Mm, yeah. the Christian response is, I'm an adult. They're a child. I'm going to go talk to you and make sure that you hear very clearly, you should never bully again. I'm going to go talk to your parents. You don't have parents. I'm going to talk to your guardian. You don't have a guardian. Well, I'm going to ask, well, how can we help this brother along? Because he clearly needs some kind of guidance. Christian response. Now, here's what I feel like we're doing in America right now, though. Instead of actually giving the Christian response, all we're doing is yelling like, don't jump him. Don't jump him. And it's like, all right. So they don't jump him for another six months. Hmm. It's like, all right. 
They didn't jump him. Cool. Good. So then he starts bullying him again. <laughs> and so then they come out again and they're like, yo, let's jump him. It's like, no, don't jump him. And it's like society's waiting for the Christian to say, okay, we're not going to jump him. So tell us what to do. What does Jesus say? Mm. We're like, uh, I don't got much to say there. Mm. Uh, that's too political. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to speak about this. Uh, I'm not re- well versed in this. Well, so it's literally like like saying, like, don't do this, but I can't give you a, a better solution. Right. And that, for me, becomes a, a, a huge missing talking point in, in, in a lot of this, especially in the church. Oh, Go well, ahead, brother. I, 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 one, one, one response I'll hear is it's not just, don't, well, don't be a criminal then. <laughs> you know, when it comes to yeah. police reform, it's like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 yeah. You, you had interesting thoughts yeah. about Black Lives Matters as far as their approach, and and I would agree because it's their approach is based in critical race theory, and and the concern, mm. um, the concern that I've seen is that, and and liberals will fillet me for saying this, but there's there's a focus yeah. on uh, on original skin rather than original sin, which mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. leads to all sorts mm-hmm. of problems, and I I don't think I think it's almost impossible to achieve any kind of unity mm-hmm. under that particular system. Um, yeah. Cause, cause yep. yeah, everybody's on the defensive always, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. So yep. yeah. Yep. Good thought. So, um, yeah, yeah you kind of actually, I, I would that. agree with, Oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I would really agree with that. And, um, I, I look at it and I say like, um, yeah, critical race theory, Black Lives Matter, all of these things are created by people who are not literally centered upon Jesus Christ, the rock. Um, and so it, for me, it, 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 it again is like, um, <laughs> so then teach them the proper way. I, I, uh, Dr. King has an incredible quote. He says, the church used to be a thermometer setting the temperature of the nation. Uh, or a thermostat setting the temperature of a nation. But now we've simply become a thermometer that reads the temperature. And I believe that that's so true that we, we often are waiting for the culture to disciple our people in societal matters. And then we become okay enough with talking about it as pastors. And that way of doing things allows for culture to disciple the church in matters that Jesus has been talking about for a minute anyway. You know, one of the things I talk about in, that, in the sermon you're talking about is like, bro, the laundry list of the amount of times Jesus talks about justice is crazy. But you start going Old Testament with it, mm-hmm. and it, it, starts be, it starts to become overwhelming. So my question is, are, here, here's the scary thing for me. Has the culture who doesn't know Jesus have more of a grip on justice than we who do. <laughs> yeah. And if, if, if that's the case, we got some real soul searching to do. And I would say for anybody listening, start with Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23 through 24. Go to Luke chapter 11, literally read that entire chapter because Jesus goes in, in that entire chapter, specifically starting at verse 11, but he just starts to go in. If you uh, move back Old Testament, Micah 6, verse 8, but that, that whole book is about that. Amos, the entire book is about justice. 
Then you start talking about the, the exodus itself. And remember how many times Yahweh pointed them back to the slavery that they had before and saying, so therefore, remember that you yourselves were once slaves. That's why you should not enslave one another. So, so we, I mean, the, it, it, when it goes beyond, we, we have a term in, you know, theology, biblical theology. When we talk about biblical theology, it's a little bit different than systematic theology. Systematic theology looks at the topic and says, right. what verses of scripture um, speak to this particular topic? Biblical theology says, here is a theme that has been unfolding since the beginning that you can trace literally from Genesis to Revelation. So you could trace the idea of kingdom, Genesis, Revelation, dominion, all the way to this wonderful garden at the end. You could trace the idea of covenant, covenant he made with Adam, all the way to the end. Well, you can also trace this idea of justice and injustice literally from Genesis to Revelation. And so when there's something that has been that profoundly shown up in Scripture, and here it is, and it's absent in our pulpits, then no wonder the world is going to step in and say, so I'll speak to this issue. That's true. And, and that we as Christians have to look in the mirror and say, we got to own that. But here's the opportunity. Right. But then once we own it, because we got a cross to put that at, now let's go back and search the scriptures and say, what does he say about justice? What does he say about injustice? What's the nuance here? How does Jesus handle those things? Yes, we always talk about, well, Jesus never spoke against power. Remember, Jesus is also on the heels of John the Baptist, who he says is the greatest prophet <laughs> who did get killed for speaking to power. So yeah. we got we to gotta yeah. deal with the entirety of the bandwidth of Scripture well, and then ask ourselves the question, so, so now what do we have to say in terms of this idea of justice and injustice to our churches and therefore even to the world? So Go ahead, brother. I, yeah, I just uh, want to talk about Cottage Grove because one of the things that I've appreciated about Cottage Grove and one of the reasons, one of the things that attracted my wife and I, our family, to go there was the the commit, commitment to ju biblical justice and and diversity. You um, know, uh, mm. how is that? How is that? How have you guys fleshed that out? Um, I just want to hear from you as mm. far as how did that start and what is that mm. what does that look like today and what were some maybe some bumps in the road on the way and obviously not completely there yet mm. won't we'll, we'll probably ever be no. completely there um but no yeah that's a phenomenal question um here's one thing i can just praise god for andy norris um that brother was preaching about justice literally from uh the second sunday he was here and he had already set the vision of the church about diversity and the desire to see that in this neighborhood. Uh, funny story, I met him the day after Cottage Grove was planted, so the, after the launch day. He had like 350 people in the church, and it was a crazy launch day and all that. Yeah. Um, so I, after we struck with this friendship, I listened to his very next sermon because my first time meeting him, he's already podcasting and all that. Listen to his sermon, he preaches on the Good Samaritan, and he's already talking about systemic injustice. <laughs> So I call him and I'm like, bro, 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 bro. I love you, man. I believe you. You the realest on this. You might want to chill out though. It's only your second Sunday, man. <laughs> You're gonna lose all your people who just got here, bro. Um, but from the gate, he made it clear that we're not gonna just pass on specific issues because they're too taboo. And I believe from that vision forward, um, it's allowed us to come in and 
speak to some of these issues, uh, you know, in both a slow drip way and then in a fire hose way. And so um, we're really, we're a church that tries to preach expositionally through books of the Bible. So when we see it in the text, we'll point it out in the text, and then we'll move on in the text. Um, and that causes a lot of friction, but at least we can point somewhere where we're seeing it in the text. So, for example, this was the funniest thing. We preached through a book of Ephesians in 2017 in the fall. Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, you know, Paul, uh, Paul is speaking to the Gentiles, and he says, you are no longer than strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, been on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, um, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So he, he talks about that. And right before that, he talks about how Jesus Christ has come and broken down the dividing wall of hostility and created in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. So <laughs> this is 2.11 through 22. And so we just talked about this idea of racial injustice in that 2 through 11 through 22. Jews and Gentiles was a way bigger chasm to overcome that Jesus Christ already overcame. And if he overcame that chasm, then surely he can overcome the chasm that we created of blacks and whites, right? So he, he right. could do all of that. But we preached through that, and this was, this was my journey in this, and I'll, I'll give it back to you. So the day we launched Ephesians, uh, I quoted Ephesians by the grace of God from memory, recited the, the entire that. book from memory. I was very impressed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Praise, praise God. That's all the living God, all glory to him. But I only brought that up to say after that, people were coming and talking about our church saying, this just confirms I've never been a part of a church that loves the word of God this much. We then apply the hermeneutic that we've been using all this time to the area of racial injustice. From the same people I begin to hear, we're a heretic and we no longer preach the gospel. Mm. Now, what has changed? Only the particular area that we're applying the same hermeneutic to. Fast forward. Those people love us when we get to the marriage portion where we get to chapter five and he starts talking about why I submit to your own husband. It's unto the Lord. But the husband is head of the wife. Just Christ is the head of the church, his, his savior. He starts talking to men. You know, husbands love your wives. As Christ loves the church. Gave himself up for her. Then we get to children. Children obey your parents. So that's all Ephesians 5, uh, 22 through a, around chapter six, verse four. Right. Okay. So we, we get to that section of scripture and then we got liberals who are just like, wait, what? Yeah. So y'all aren't cool with gay marriage? Mm -hmm. Like, nah, it's not about us being cool about it. It's with what God has to say. Right, right. So we had people on that end saying like, well, I thought you cared about justice. Who's done worse than the LGBTQ community? And we were just, we just had to say, I'm sorry again, but this is just us taking the same hermeneutic and now applying it to the area of sexuality and unity within a marriage. <laughs> and so what we found is that um, literally just preaching verse, through, uh, verse by verse through just one small six-chapter book caused us to have friction with literally these two camps. And what it's taught me is that, and this is sad and scary and all of that, but what it's taught me is that some matters have literally been relegated to the Democratic side, and some matters have literally been relegated to the Republican side, so that if you speak 
truthfully from the Bible, there is an assumption being made that you are getting that from the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. Right. Or who, whatever sociological ideals kind of underlie those two political parties. Right. And to me, I'm like, bro, let's get over ourselves. Well, no I, Republican and no Democrat is, is tough enough <laughs> to come up with the truths of Scripture. Right. It's been well, talked I, about and discussed and, and said for eternity. Go ahead, brother. Well, I just I love yeah. what Dr. Tony Evans said regarding, so when Jesus returns, he's not going to come back to take sides. He's going to come to take over. Um, and so he's mm. like, he's like, you know, God, God is not mm. a Republican or a Democrat. And, mm. and mm. Yeah, mm. As, far, as far as... Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Here, people, I think they just latch on to. Well, that sounds somewhat close to what I hear these people say, but people, it seems like people are are not nuanced anymore. <laughs> if you right. notice that, right. there, it, it seems like yep. well, if we if I talk about racial reconciliation, suddenly I'm approving cultural Marxism. I'm like, what? Yep. <laughs> you know? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, because yep. like I, I, yep. I agree with you on certain you know things, but I was yep. like, come on, yep. the you know this is biblical. Yep. Um, so yep. it's crazy. Yep. I mean, or, I, if I, or on the other end, if I if I speak against abortion, suddenly I'm a Trump hit. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. I'm like, I mean, I mean, literally, like I, I can't tell you how many times you, you said the word so perfectly, and I've used it so many times. That's why I'm appreciative of it. The word nuance, man. Mm-hmm. The scripture, uh, it's, it's, it's Hebrews chapter 4, where he says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit, of joint and of marrow. And I love that because if it can pierce to, through those divisions, mm-hmm. then certainly it can pierce through the division of, here it is, of racial injustice and Black Lives Matter. <laughs> Absolutely. And it can pierce through the division of anti-abortion or pro-life and Republicanism. Like the scripture is able to decipher between those two. But when we when we become unnuanced, I think it actually exposes the reality that our discipleship on these matters is coming more from things that we're watching on TV and on our phones than what we're reading in the eternally life-giving book. Right. It's like, yeah, and maybe maybe time to get off social media and pick up the Bible. Yep. And, yep. Or, or, yep. And, and also maybe talk to some folks that have experiences <laughs> different yep. than yours. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Hey, hey I've, I've taken up enough of your time, and I appreciate the conversation. One last question, totally unrelated. I ask, I, well, I try to yeah, ask yeah. every guest on my podcast, what is your favorite yeah. caffeinated beverage? This is the Caffeinated Thoughts podcast, after all. Woo! Um, favorite? Oh, man, this has changed so much. Ah, oh, man, this has changed so much for me. Ah, oh, man. Huh. This is right, not. Just, this is not I'm a politically just, correct. I'm not expecting a particular answer, I, so no pressure. I know it's so. It's so funny. All your answers, all your questions about racial justice are much easier <laughs> for me, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is the stumping one, man. I'm. I'm going to have to go with the vanilla shy classic. Um, 
I'm not sure that's caffeine. But, but okay. <laughs> there's there's no caffeine in chai. I don't think so. What? Pretty sure, man. Well, so, maybe it's just like maybe well, you get a psychological that, effect. You think it's caffeinated? Therefore, hey, it works. man, I I I'd be getting really hyped, really hyped. Could be the sugar. Uh, yeah, probably, 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 probably. Sorry, I just heard some crazy, crazy, crazy popping out here, so had to step inside for a second. Okay. That was crazy on real time. So, yep. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, yep. th- thank you so much, and and uh, you know we'll have to have you again on again. I think in the future because I I love this conversation. This was great. Hey, thanks so much for having me, brother. I appreciate it. Very welcome. Hey, take care. God bless. Hey, you as well. Take care of yourself. That concludes today's episode of the Caffeinated Thoughts Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you happen to be listening to this podcast somewhere other than on our website, please be sure to check out caffeinatedthoughts.com. Again, that's caffeinatedthoughts.com. Or you could just Google Caffeinated Thoughts and it'll show up at the top of your search screen. Also, you can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Uh, Sign up for emails. That way you don't miss a single update. If you happen to be listening on the website and you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, which we encourage you to do uh, because it's easier for you and better for us if you do, uh, please check us out on Apple Podcasts. If you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. Uh, I'd appreciate it. If you don't happen to like this podcast, forget I said anything at all. Also, we're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, if there's a uh, podcast app that I'm missing, uh, please drop me a line at Shane at CaffeinatedThoughts.com. Again, that's Shane at CaffeinatedThoughts.com. And uh, I'll look and see if I can make that happen. So without uh, folks, I just, again, appreciate you listening. Uh, uh, Again, apologize for the length of time in between episodes. Uh, Please uh, be sure, again, to subscribe. That way you don't miss a single update. Have a great weekend that's coming up. I guess it's a little early since it's only Thursday, but hey, maybe maybe start a little bit early on Friday and have a great weekend. God bless everybody. This is Shane Vanderhart. Take care.